Hey, Changemakers, welcome back to the Engage for Good podcast. I'm your host, Allie Murphy. While a lot of major corporations in the financial sector focus their social impact work on education, financial literacy, and STEM programs, Morgan Stanley has taken a different approach. They focus on children's health. For over half a century, the Morgan Stanley Foundation has focused on children's health. And in 2021, the foundation launched the Morgan Stanley Alliance for Children's Mental Health. This initiative combines the considerable resources and extensive reach of Morgan Stanley with the expertise of nonprofit partners to confront the pressing challenges of stress, anxiety, and depression. In today's episode, I'm joined by Joan Steinberg, Global Head of Philanthropy and President of the Morgan Stanley Foundation and CEO of the Morgan Stanley Alliance for Children's Mental Health. The Alliance has several multi-year partnerships with organizations like the Jed Foundation, Child Mind Institute, Place to Be, the Columbia University Department of Psychiatry, and a whole bunch more. On top of that, it hosts an innovation awards program, providing grantees with seed funding, networking opportunities, and capacity building support. As part of that capacity building, the first five winners of the Innovations Awards program collectively raised an additional $6 million in outside funding for their programs, aka an additional $6 million that didn't come from Morgan Stanley directly. That's impressive. In today's episode, we'll explore the motivations behind the Morgan Stanley Foundation's focus on children's health, how the Innovation Awards program empowers small organizations in their initial steps towards scaling their impact, how the Alliance positively impacts the company's employee engagement, the connection between the brand's social impact work and its reputation as an employer of choice, insights into the program's expansion plans for future cohorts, advice to grant hopefuls and corporations leading their own grant-making platforms, and how Joan prioritizes her well-being so she can continue moving this important work forward. And with that, let's get started. Hey, Joan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. We are all more than what we do for work, which listeners hear me say all the time. Tell us a little bit about you as a person and what you do at Morgan Stanley. I'm going to start with Morgan Stanley, okay. uh, which is I run philanthropy for the firm. And that means I'm responsible for the contributions we make, running our foundations and getting our employees excited and involved in their own community. Um, and me personally, when I'm not doing that, I'm a sandwich generation mom and daughter. So I'm mostly about giving back to my own family. Um, and when I have time to do more in the community myself. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of different things today. And I want to start on the the higher level and then kind of whittle our way down. So Morgan Stanley is in the financial space, yet you focus on children's health, specifically physical health and mental health. Why? Yes, we're a financial services company. But our North Star when it comes to giving back is to have our employees be a huge part of that effort, whether they're volunteering or they're just proud to be associated with it. And so when we looked at what made sense for us to do, it really came down to kids because everyone thinks kids are important, even if you have other interests. And children's health, because even from our beginning, we were deeply involved with the Children's Hospital here in our headquarters community Mm -hmm. of New York. And there was such an attachment of our employees to that, that we thought, hey, this is an opportunity for us to do something really meaningful and different and a place where we can serve real needs. There's a lot that needs to be done here. 
And frankly, because as a financial services company, most of our peers are more focused on things like financial literacy and some education programs. It frankly distinguished us and gave us an opportunity to be different and to be exciting for our employees to get to do something different. That's such an interesting point, too, because a lot of times you see, okay, a technology company is going to have STEM programs or STEAM programs. This is a little bit different. But as you said, children is a great cause area for of interest for a lot of people. And you also probably have a ton of parents on staff. Exactly. I mean, depending on our community, something something in the neighborhood of 40 percent of our employees are parents. Okay, so would you give us an overview of the Morgan Stanley Foundation and then also your Alliance for Children's Mental Health? Yeah. So why don't we start with, you know, 1961. It's December. No, it's uh, so our foundation <laughs> was actually founded. Yeah, story time. Our foundation was actually founded in 1961. Um, Morgan Stanley was then primarily in New York, uh, uh, you know, or entity. We're now global. Um, and so our charity was very traditional corporate philanthropy. Um, but over time, it's really expanded. And the more we got into how we could have impact, the more we dug into children's health. Um, so our, as I mentioned before, our relationship, for instance, in New York City with what's now Morgan Stanley Children's Hospital, that relationship started in 1973. Wow. So there's a really long history here. And then in 2018, uh, we were looking at our giving and we've been really focused on children's physical health. So think about food insecurity, safe places to play and thrive. Think about access to care models. Um, and we we were looking for what's the next thing we should do. And it just really struck us looking at a stat that said that children over the age of 10, suicide was the second leading cause of death. And the idea that, you know, you're saying, oh, we care about children's health. And then you're not looking at that thing that is the primary driver of sort of death and disease in kids. And that's when we really started taking on mental health and what what would that look like and how could a corporation try to make a difference? And that's the birth of the alliance. Was that a for lack of a better term, not easy in terms of rollout, but was it an easy decision internally to say, all right, mental health matters and we're going to take this on as well? Or was it a little bit more challenging than that to bring it in-house before what we'll call the pandemic, which really opened people's eyes to this being more of an issue and something we need to address? Yeah. And I'll be honest, we went into it thinking there'd be resistance because of stigma, because of you know all the reasons that uh, people have feelings about mental health disorders. And then a couple of things happened that really opened our eyes to the fact that, you know, we were wrong. And the first, and I've, I've shared the story, was a very senior person who had their own plan of what we should do. We were going around the table and kind of blue, you know, blue sky um, uh, brainstorming. And when we got to, I'd already said, look, I think maybe we should look at children's mental health. Here's why. And we got to him and he took his notebook and just kind of pushed it across the table and said out loud, my dad had mental health problems. I whispered about it my whole life. I'm 100% in. And the wow. whole room, I get like, those even talking about I it now. The whole room just, yeah, like that was it. The pens were dropped and everyone was like, you're right. And we're done. And every conversation thereafter, I realized I was talking to an already sold audience. You know, I mean, if you look at the rates of childhood um, mental health issues, at least 20% of kids, and that's probably low, are struggling with, at some point in their lives with these disorders, now you go back to those parents. That's an awful lot of people. In any room you're in, there's probably someone in their family who's gone through this. It's probably somebody younger in their family who's gone through this. And so that made it much easier for us to think, you know what, this is embedded already. We're just giving a voice to it. And we've been right. The take up by employees has been enormous. There hasn't been any question as to why we do it. So I think he, he was... 
he was my guinea pig and thank goodness for him because he gave me all the confidence to be able to to push forward. I love that. Okay, I want to come back to the employee piece later. But before we get there, the Alliance's Innovation Awards Program is your grant making initiative. What are the business's goals for this program and what are the some of the KPIs that you're tracking? Yeah, so let me let me clarify. Um, We actually have several very large multi-year commitments to the partners of the Alliance mm-hmm. for long-term impactful programs. So uh, that is the, the biggest grants. The Innovation Awards, though, was really focused on the issue that um, there's very little funding for mental health organizations, and particularly for organizations sort of in that startup phase. So when we were looking and we did a pretty broad ex- environmental scan There were so many organizations doing interesting work, but they were so small that they hadn't really shown that they're ready for scale or that they could be built up. And we really wanted to do things big when we got started, because frankly, not that many people funded. We wanted, we didn't want to, we really wanted to do more significant work. But that led to the Innovation Awards, which is, okay, you know, 1.3% of charitable funding goes to mental health organizations. (laughs) That's so low. So low. I mean, hopefully COVID's going to change that. I'm worried about a COVID bubble, but we can talk about that. Um, but we really looked at the Innovation Awards as a way of saying, like, okay, well, what could we do for all these kind of startup grassroots organizations that have great ideas but need a little bump to get to that next stage, that sort of early seed capital to get themselves going, but also need a lot of recognition for other people to kind of climb on board mm-hmm. and get them where they can go. And that's really what it came out of. So obviously, innovation, we want people who are thinking creatively about ways to address children's mental health. But we also were looking for that sort of sweet spot of organization with a really cool model who needs a, a kick to get going. And, you know, we've had uh, 10 already announced, five more to come soon. We're in our third cycle um, of organizations. And our program gives them a $100,000 grant. That's the that's the funding kick. But I think probably more is more important. We work to train them. We provide them with capacity building. And we try to broadcast the hell out of them. Um, to other funders with the hope that they can generate capital on their own. And, uh, you know, we're, we're new in the process. We've only had two done classes, but in our first class, we gave half a million dollars, but they raised $6 million after our grant. And that's, that's the kind of results we want to see, right? Where you're creating a multiplier effect for the winners of recognition and additional funding. Um, Cause again, I love the organizations that have been selected, but the big picture is how do you get more funders into the space to lift all boats, not just have a few organizations win. Okay. So I love the background on that. You're, you've done two, you're in the third right now from the half a million all the way to 6 million additional. One of the things that we talk about a lot at Engage for Good is sustainability of these programs, not in the sense of sustainability, like we're thinking climate change, but to build a sustainable program, it needs to be embedded into the business. You've got to have key stakeholders involved. And as we say, at least, it has to have some sort of goal or business benefit or something that ties back to the needs of the company. And so I'm wondering, how would you talk about that piece? I would talk about it on a couple fronts. So first of all, we are an employer Mm -hmm. and we want to be the employer of choice for every smart, talented human being who wants to come work for us. And I think when we were looking at this program, we definitely thought of our employees as a target audience in that this was information that they could use, that they would be invested in supporting the mental health of their own families, children, nephews, nieces, grandchildren. And so instead of being a 
volunteer necessarily. You know, there, we don't have that many psychologists and psychiatrists trained on staff. No? But some, but for those, you know, for those lay people that this was an opportunity for them to be able to tap into some expertise that that can be used for their own family. And that's, that's definitely true. Um, particularly during COVID, we offered a lot of services to employees using our uh, partner's expertise and helping them navigate uh, through that. So clearly, that's one of our business imperatives. And this lines directly up with that. We matched these the charitable components of this with, of course, a very robust benefits offering um, around global well-being right. um, that we attach to this. So that's that's clearly in there. But I would also say, um, if you look at our inclusive ventures program, if you look at um, uh, some of our financial offerings, um, we've always been looking for innovative and emerging projects to be able to support um, in earlier stages and help bring to fruition as an institution that is a part of our goals for our own clients. So this certainly aligns with the idea of um, uh, bringing capital and bringing additional, you know, our own capital, but additional capital from the market to look at innovative solutions. That part's not new. It's just we're applying it to a charitable and community-based need. I love that. Okay. So we've talked a little bit already about how this is more than just dollars. And some grant making initiatives are just dollars. And while money is great, the additional resources and capacity building can really make all the difference. So you've talked a little bit about about this already. But if you had to like lay out the menu, what benefits do grantees receive? And how has that helped them unlock that $6 million in additional funding on top of what they get from you? So each uh, innovation awards winning class are like their own cohort. Mm -hmm. And we work with them to identify what are the skill sets that they would look for further development in. So it's it's not just us delivering a menu. It's it's yep. a feedback loop. Um, and so I'm, I'm thinking of examples of the first couple classes. We've done fundraising sessions. Um, and in fact, some of the experts from Child Mind Institute and the Jed Foundation, who are partners, uh, bigger partners and members of the Alliance, their teams help deliver this. We've done specific scaling and um, capacity building workshops so that they can think about how they broaden and, and bring their ideas maybe to a different geography or um, uh, state, you know, whatever that might be for them, how they can think about ex expanding. We've done marketing and public relations work for them. Um, I don't mean that we've broadcast them that we actually have done, but we've actually had experts from marketing and public relations sit and talk to them about how to think about telling their stories, whether it's on social media, how paid advertising works, mm -hmm. um, and, and how they can think about telling their stories to new audiences. So those are examples of the kinds of things that we're doing. Um, I would only note in the new class that's coming out, we're adding a, a capacity building platform for roughly 100, we're hoping, could be more charities on top of the the sort of five winners okay. um, to also create cohort training opportunities for those organizations to get that same kind of training. We're not, uh, we're not going to be able to provide the same financial support, but we, again, as I mentioned, the sort of lift all boats moment, we want to look at how the whole field can improve. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that uh, I might've mentioned this, but not, but we've had more than 1200 applications um, for wow. those awards. I think, I think it's now 2100 with the newest class. So there's clearly a desperate need in the community. So we're like, how do we get more of those organizations some support and help and, and expose them to capacity building with the hopes that they can grow? Two done. In the third one right now, 
as you start something new, there's inevitably things that we learn along the way. Sometimes we think something's going to work really well, and it doesn't. Sometimes somebody brings us a different idea. What are two or three things that you've learned through this process that would help listeners? As somebody trying to run an awards, we wanted to be as broad as possible. We started to have as big a funnel as possible. That was one of, it's great, and it's also a mistake. <laughs> um, <laughs> Can I say more? Because, well, no, because frankly, you don't want to waste any charity's time. And if yeah. they're not going to be eligible, if there's something that's not quite right. So we've spent a lot of time trying to refine our questions to still be as short an application as possible, but to zero in on the things we're actually looking for. So we've added like webinars where we answer questions for the charities that are going to apply so they can better understand. You know, honestly, these are kind of traditional good grant making tools, mm -hmm. but I think we've been forever honing in on them to try to be smarter about it. A, we don't want to read endless applications that are not eligible, to be fair. It's my poor team. But we, it's, it's, these charities often have almost no staff. And so the idea that they're wasting time on applying for something they're not eligible for is like heartbreaking to me. Right. So I think that's been one of the big lessons. Um, I also think that we knew there was a lot of buzz around charities wanting to do this. I think it was astonishing to see the numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, that brought on, and I know that was a mistake so much as that brought on a lot of our thinking about how we expand our outreach, how we think about it, how we partner with other funders. Like there's way more to do. Right. Um, you know, you knew it was a huge space. You knew it was a very underfunded space, but it's just the level of innovation and excitement and movement. It's really exciting, but that also is its own challenge of like, how do you make sure that you can, you can be there and support it. And obviously COVID I'm sure brought along significantly more, yep. which is good as long as they can stay and be funded. I feel you on the not wanting to read a bunch of applications that don't really fit. We run uh, the Halo Awards program, not a grant making initiative, but recognizing best in class yep. corporate social impact. And those are some long applications. And when you've got hundreds yeah. of them, yeah, I, under I understand that feeling. But it's, it's yeah. so and important you to look at what works, what doesn't, and to really question just because we've done things one way doesn't necessarily mean we should continue and start pulling around the pieces and see what works moving forward. A hundred percent. And you also want to make sure if your goal is seed capital and getting to kind of untapped resources, that requires you to have a little faith in groups that aren't quite there yet. And and being okay, you, you know, I was joking, we thank God not had any failures, but failure is an option when you're dealing with early stage entities. They've been amazing. Not one of them has has had trouble but that's something like that's not a Morgan Stanley thing we're super comfortable with is the idea that, you know, we're supposed to be the best grant makers. Everything's supposed to be perfect. And you have to get comfortable with a little bit of uncertainty because your job is to help them get there, not to have them be there already. That's a really good point and a challenging mindset shift in a lot of ways, too. Yeah. So we talked about employees a little bit. I want to circle back around to them. They're a really big topic for our audience, employee engagement in general. So how are your employees involved in the grant making specifically? And have you seen any best practices for increasing that employee engagement? I need to, I'm going to do a little self brag and then we'll <laughs> talk okay. about this. So no, just that, so I've, I've, I've mentioned that like employees are definitely our North Star. Um, so our employee engagement rates in the firm are, are somewhere in the 90s in terms of percentage. So I just want to be clear that we're not, it's not solely around these issues, but we right. every day, all day long are about employees. And that's whether they're giving or volunteering, primarily volunteering or pro bono service. That's kind of what that means by engagement levels. 
So we're already sort of deep in <laughs> when it comes to our employees and they are not apathetic. Their expectations are pretty high. Okay. Um, so we, um, we have lots of different ways that we try to engage our employees. Again, for the mental health program, they're much more users of our services than they would be direct hands-on volunteers. But in many of our other children's health programming, they're actually direct service providers. So we have enormous partnerships with Feeding America across the country and with other feeding partners globally. And our employees are the food sorters, the packers, the backpack givers, the campaign runners. So there's lots of hands-on. Um, and then we also have a um, pro bono program called the Strategy Challenge, which is run in New York and in London, where they work for 10 weeks on solving critical mission strategy questions by nonprofit. Yep. Um, that is a really deep uh, pro bono program. So we kind of run the gamut of showing up for an hour and stuffing something and, you know, showing up for 10 weeks straight and kind of working two jobs while you're solving a, a, a problem for a charity. And I, that's something we're constantly looking at that continuum and where we can bring people in. Um, would also note that our employees are very involved in nominating charities and recommending mm. charities to all these application process. And I think it's an important piece to note on that spectrum of come for an hour versus 10 weeks that employees are going to be interested in different parts of that spectrum. So having the availability of options means you're probably going to get more people engaged in it. A hundred percent. And I mean, we are always pushing people to do more than check writing, but we'll also take their checks. Yes. We are also trying to push people more than check writing. <laughs> it is transformational, exactly. not transactional. Exactly. But if that's all they can do today and that's going to be their support of the community, great. Let's hope that they'll do more next time. And same thing for the hour person. I can give an hour now. Okay, well, maybe next year I can get you to give two or three. Mm -hmm. You got to start somewhere. Yep. And then that gives them an introduction to the program as well. And typically, yeah, ooh, I want to come back and do more of this. Exactly. So how do you measure success of your programs? I would say, number one, impact we're having in the community. So no doubt we're looking specifically at how the groups we funded actually are helping the children that are the recipients of their services. Um, uh, it could be numbers served. It could be the impact they're having. We're, we're kind of measuring all of it. Okay. And those are things as a grant maker we're building into the grants from the front end. So we've already identified, you know, what are the things that we're looking for? What does success mean? And then delivering it. Um, I mean, I'm just going to give you one example. And it's, it's, it sort of shows the COVID effect a little bit. Well, we worked with Child Mind Institute to create a parent resource, a digital parent resource. Um, because at the time, again, going back pre-COVID, they had a lot of information, but it wasn't necessarily read by lower income communities it wasn't in Spanish. Um, it may not have been as culturally appropriate or community appropriate. So we worked with them to completely redo that section of their website and to do push out into um, underprivileged communities. And when we set the grant goal, it was 600,000 users would use the, the program. And it's 30 million that have actually used it. Wow. And so, you know, that's one where like, it's wildly beyond our imagination. And then we look literally at where did they go on the site? How long did they stay? Mm -hmm. You know, and to see the impact that we're having. And we know that I think it's roughly a third of those users were Spanish speaking. So we know we were also hitting our target audience in the way that we were approaching it. And those are the kinds of measurements that we think about. Again, impact, depth, volume and you know was it what was it what you were targeting those are all the kinds of things we bake into our sort of performance evaluation okay so transitioning into advice 
What advice would you give potential grantees, whether that's of specifically your awards program or in the larger scope of I'm a nonprofit, I want to apply for a grant? What would you tell me? For nonprofits who are thinking about applying to Morgan Stanley or or any corporation, there's a few things they, they might want to consider. First of all, read the guidelines for those applications. <laughs> yes. It's our innovation awards. Watch the seminar. Get educated on what we're actually looking for. Call us and ask if it's what we're looking for. We'll be honest. But don't just assume like we just want to fund everyone because we can't. And as I'm sure your listeners know, we get way more applications than we could ever, ever fund. We spend most of the time saying no. But that said, if there's an employee of our firm or the organization you're trying to approach who's volunteering for you, the best way to get in touch with me is to have that employee (laughs) be the advocate because I respond to my colleagues Mm -hmm. faster than I can respond to groups I don't know in the community. So certainly think about sort of the assets you already have, um, get educated on what we're actually interested in. And if you think that it might be right, you can send information, but it should never be like 20 pages. It should be like a bulleted email with a quick like, hey, I think I might make it. And like be really open that you might not get it anyway. And that's okay. We don't just fund things because they're worthy. We fund things because they fit within the sort of rubric that we've designed and really thought carefully about where we want to make an impact and what kind of ROI we want to deliver. And just being worthy just doesn't land you in there without all the rest of it. Okay, so that's the nonprofit side. What advice would you give to corporate listeners who want to either start or maybe not start, but maybe improve upon their own grant making platform? My one pitch I'm going to make around the mental health thing, and it it is um, 1.3% of funding goes to mental health programs. So I would beg my fellow corporate uh, givers to think about whether mental health is having an impact on the thing they're funding. I, I don't expect everyone to just suddenly go, oh, I'm into my mental health. But if you're an education funder and you're worried about dropout rates or you're worried about you know success through college, you should be looking at the mental health things. You should be looking at how depressive disorders are pulling young people sort of out of successful pathways and look at whether or not any of your funding might support those issues. So shameless plug for mental health, but <laughs> highly, highly recommend um, and I would I would say for corporate funders who are thinking about some kind of competitive grants program or awards program, there's a lot of work to it. It's a it's a lot. I'm not going to say that it isn't, but it's just a really fantastic way to get a, a hold of kind of what's happening on a grassroots level, to get exposed to organizations you might not otherwise, to fund places like rural communities, um, et cetera, that you might might be a little bit flyover for you, depending on when your staff are, but have tremendous needs. So I think as a grant maker, it exposes you to things that you might not know and gives you an opportunity with smaller grants to step into spaces that you can't make priorities. So it's a really interesting play, I think, but be prepared that it's time consuming. You're not getting these awards, looking through a bunch of things and writing a check and being done. There's a lot of support that goes on and a lot of staying with those organizations over time. But if you can manage it staff-wise, totally worth doing. And the other thing that I would add based on our conversation, which you're already doing, is the dollar is important. We've already talked about that. But if there are other wraparound pieces that you can add, the capacity building, the lunch and learns with employees, whatever it might be, that's going to strengthen a program as well. A hundred percent. And if you can connect your, you know, if there are volunteer opportunities with those organizations that employees can help with, great. Mm hmm. Okay, we are coming towards the end of our time. So I have three closing questions for you. Number one, what are one or two key behaviors or strategies that help you excel as a leader? 
I try not to worry about something too early so that I don't Ooh. go into panic mode. Um, that would so be a good if, one for me. Yeah. Just if like, there's going to be plenty of time to worry about it when it happens. I try to maintain that mantra. Um, I am the queen of networking with a small N. Um, I feel it's critical to know everybody at every level. And it's not just about you reaching out to them and them being in your network. It's about you being of service to them and their networks. Um, so I'm big on everyone's my colleague and I'll help anyone at any time and I'll ask for help at any time. Um, it's how I've built my uh, success to be truthful. Um, and I think the last one is just more personal, which is you have to turn it off yes. and you have to figure out what I, I, it doesn't have to be a spa day. It doesn't have to be all those things. You know, it's just for me, COVID being in the next room, I realized pretty early on that I was working, walking out of like a bedroom into a living room and becoming mommy and cook and maid. And I never turned it off. And it was really bad for my mental health. So I'm a return to worker. I love being in the office. And for me, that commute, weirdly, commuting on a bus and like a smelly bus. That makes total sense. Actually, that, it's that thing of like those, that 30 minutes or whatever time it takes that I can compartmentalize and end one part of my persona and open up the other one. It's better for both sides. So whatever that looks like, whether it's exercise or meditation or chocolate, I don't care. <laughs> But you should figure out how you create that separation for yourself and 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 take care of yourself in whatever, it, whatever that looks for you. For me, it's separation. For other people, it's chocolate. That's Ooh. such a good point, too. And I feel like, what was it? ACCP just came out and said, I think it's, I'm going to misquote this probably because it's not in front of me, but like 89% of people in our field, and this is corporate research, are burnt out. And for me, one yeah. of the really important things, listeners can't see my background, you can't, I work from home. I've worked from home yeah. since long before covid and so that morning time, I have two hours in the morning to myself, whether it's exercise, reading, meditation, whatever it is, yeah. before work starts. And I'll look at my email. And then at the end of the day, I have a shutdown routine that shuts the office down. I literally yeah. shut the door and then I go transition into life. But that's a really key piece. Yeah, I don't have that. I'm not good at the. Um, I wasn't I wasn't reliable to do that. So I had to give myself <laughs> false versions of it. Yeah, no, it's, it's really important. I think for our field. I'm probably I'm probably biased, but I think it's a very um, emotive group of people. Yep. I think there's a lot of empaths in our industry, and so you're absorbing pain and discomfort and uh, sometimes horror, uh, and it, you have to release it somewhere. And it's great, like we get the benefit of actually doing work that helps people, and that goes a long way in helping us feel good and stabilizes us. And certainly, like on a day when there's a, a crisis. Uh, I mean, it's like a disaster crisis, not your own personal crisis. It's 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 very grounding because there's so you deal. You know that you know your bad hair day doesn't really matter, and you're you're over whatever fight you had with your husband or your boyfriend, whatever. Like that doesn't matter. But eventually, you're living with a lot of stress, and it's it does catch up to you. So you really have to you have to be aware of that and and cut yourself some slack uh, around it. And and I'm sure if you're like I am, that the people in your company recognize the contribution you're making and are more than happy to give you that break when you need it because yep. they understand what you're dealing with. So that brings me perfectly to question number two of our closing questions. We solve, I say we, I'm not actually a practitioner in this space, but yeah, in our space, 
people are solving monumental challenges. What steps or actions, you talked about this a little bit already, but specifically, what steps or actions do you take so that your well-being isn't overshadowed or overlooked by the urgency and importance of the issues you're addressing? And that doesn't mean you get it, have to get it right all the time, but the strategies and ideas shared here have been really insightful for others. Um, I'm, I'm really big on not bringing work home. Um, so I try to end my day, even if it's later, whatever that might be, I try to end my work day and then not go. I don't, I don't reopen and log back in. I'll check emails, but I, you know, on my phone, but I try not to like pop the computer open Mm -hmm. and actually spend too much of my weekends doing that. And my, my whole concentration on the weekends is often, you know, whatever my son's doing, like that's precious mommy time. You can't always do that, but that's really key for me is to be able to walk away from what's happening um, and not to bring it home. Uh, So I highly recommend that. Um, And then I'm personally a mover. So I do all kinds of whatever, you know, lifting, yoga, Pilates, walking, running. Um, So I try to do all of that just to clear your head. And there's nothing like a little endorphin high to, uh, you know, get you over the hump. And physiologically, it is great for stress relief. It is. It is. I mean, endorphins are drugs. Like we should, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's healthy, good ones, but like, that's what you're getting out of it. Like yeah. don't underestimate how much they can, how good they can make you feel. It's so true. Okay. That brings us to number three. Where can people learn more about you and Morgan Stanley? So please go to morganstanley.com. There's an entire giving back section, which highlights all of the work that we are doing. Um, and if you are at all interested in mental health, please, please, please visit um, our Alliance for Children's Mental Health and see the work we're doing, feel free to reach out to me if you want to sign up or be involved in mental health. I've got a million recommendations for how you can give. Wonderful. Well, we will include all of that in the show notes at engageforgood.com. Joan, it was a pleasure to talk about, talk about, talk with you. (laughs) My brain's working well today. Thank you for joining me. It was so much fun. Thank you so much. The Engage for Good podcast is produced in partnership with True Story FM. Engineering by Pete Bright. Music this week is by Vacheslav Dragunov and Rex Banner. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, we hope you'll consider doing just that for our show. But the best thing that you can do to support Engage for Good is simply to share the show with a friend or colleague. Thank you for listening.